We want to glorify him, but we know it's when we grow in surrendered obedience to all that Jesus commanded that we experience more fully the abundant life that Jesus came to give. Why, are, why do we desire to teach other, others to do the same? It's because we want them to experience the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And so that's why we have been looking at how we can do that as Jesus' disciples. And we're going to continue looking at it this morning. One of the things that I've explained to you is that if we are going to grow as disciples of Jesus, we must train with Jesus. We've got to train with him. And we've been looking at what those components should be of our training program with Christ. Let me remind you of them and let me briefly summarize them for you. Here are the five components, vision, commitment, assessment, plan, evaluation. In terms of vision, we've looked at vision, commitment, and and assessment in depth. We're going to really hone in on the plan part again this Sunday, but let me briefly review them. So vision, in terms of vision, we, we just followed a sermon series that we did on the upside down kingdom of God as we went through this sermon on the mount. Because this is the vision of what it looks like to live abundantly in the kingdom of God with Jesus. In this sermon is where Jesus, he so outlines his commands and what it looks like in daily living to love. That is the vision. That's, that's what we're after. Once we have this vision, then we must commit to becoming a person that is kingdom fit, adept at kingdom living. And commitment really requires repentance and belief. We are committed to repenting. We're committing to turning away from our ways of living that are in opposition to to King Jesus and his kingdom. And we're committed to turn to Jesus because we believe he is the true king of the world, the true Lord of the world. And we want to take upon ourselves his ways of living. And that requires belief, right? It requires a transfer of trust to Jesus. And so when we commit, we are committing to the Lord and we are committing to being with him to learn from him how to live like him. The next thing we need is we need assessment. We need to know if we got our eyes on the vision and we are committed to becoming it through Christ and his power. We need to be able to go before Jesus and really know, all right, where does God want to grow us? Where are we weak? Where are we out of shape when it comes to kingdom fitness? And then once we uh, assess an area of growth that, that God wants for us and desires for us, we have to have a plan of how we are going to actually partner with Jesus to see that become a reality. And then we need to evaluate. Right? We need to evaluate once we've engaged in the plan for a significant enough time. Is it working? Are we seeing kingdom fruit come more fully into our life? If not, and we've been consistent with the plan, it probably needs to be tweaked. 
Something needs to stop. Something needs to start, right? And so this is where we've been focused. Vision, commitment, assessment, plan, evaluation, repeat. 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 That is the life of a disciple. This is how we go after kingdom fitness. This is how we learn to obey all that Jesus commanded. Pray with me, and we're going to really lean into and really try and hone in more on this plan component. Lord, we are grateful, as we often say here, that you love us just the way we are, but you love us too much to let us stay the way we are. That you want us to experience abundant life in your kingdom, now and forever. Thank you for being a God that was willing to go through so much sacrifice in order to make availability in your kingdom, life in it, possible. We thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, your ascension, all of that for us. Lord, as we continue to look at the plan component, may your spirit teach us Open our hearts. Give us revelation. Give us understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You remember, you may remember if if you were here last week, but I said that no two individuals' plans are going to look exactly the same. We're all at different places in our journey as a disciple. And although they're not going to look exactly the same, I do believe that every plan should address these two primary objectives. The first objective, which we covered last week, is to grow in our understanding and our experience of God as our extravagantly loving creator, savior, and father. Perhaps last week as I was expressing this and sharing this, you made the connection that this is all about identity. This is all about who we are in relation to whom we belong. That's what this is all about. And this is so important that we understand that we are the creator's masterpiece. We are the savior's redeemed. We are the father's child. Because when, that, when we experience that and understand that more fully, guess what happens? And it's going to help us with the second objective that our plan needs to address. Sin becomes less appealing. Sin becomes less appealing the more we grow in our understanding and experience of God in his roles of creator, savior, and father. The second primary objective that our plan should address is this, removing our old automatic responses of thinking, feeling, and acting that are not motivated by our new identity in Christ and are out of alignment with the kingdom. That's the second primary objective. So let, let's check this out. Let's, look, let's hone in on the second objective. I want to tell you that removing our automatic sinful responses, it is why it's necessary that it is our responsibility, it is 
often difficult, but it's worth it. So I I just want to look at those with you this morning. Why is removing our sinful automatic responses necessary? Here's why. When we become a Christian, something amazing happens to us immediately. We become a new creation. What does this mean, though? What on earth does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? Let me tell you. It means that in the very deepest part of who we are, we have experienced a profound change. Our old heart of stone has been removed, and we've been given a new heart that is alive to God and that now beats for him. As a new creation, we have a new ability to relate to God in a personal, intimate way. As a new creation, our understanding of how lost we were in sin before Christ becomes more uh, a reality in our minds, and there's a greater understanding of that. As a new creation in Christ, we have this new attitude of gratitude for the grace that God through Christ has shown us. As a new creation in Christ, we have a new motivation to please God by obeying him. Not in order to gain his acceptance, but because we've already freely received it and we want to love him back in return. As a new creation in Christ, we have a new desire to tell others of this amazing love we found. As a new creation in Christ, we have this desire to love others the same way in which Jesus has loved us. As a new creation in Christ, we are learning more and more about our wonderful Savior and Lord, and we have a desire to do it. And as a new creation in Christ, we have now a new power to say no to sin. Our old life that was dead to God was crucified with Christ. Our old personality and our old ego that only thought most of the time about ourselves was crucified with Christ. Our old life that was a slave to sin is it's been crucified with Christ. Because when we were a slave to sin, often we we couldn't even recognize our sin. And when we did, we were powerless to overcome it. That old life has been crucified. Indeed, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5:17 are true. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen? Amen. Now, here's the problem. This is the problem. That although we are this new creature in Christ, and that happens immediately when we repent in place, repent of our sin and place our trust in the resurrected King Jesus, the problem, and here's the problem, Our mind and body doesn't immediately know how to function with our new heart, our new nature, our new personality, our new identity. That's the problem. We have so many deep 
ingrained ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving that have been formed over decades. They are so entrenched in us that we, in certain situations, they just come out of us. We don't even have to think about it. They just take, it just happens. And they've been reinforced over so many years of being in our dead state. You know, I've heard of prisoners who, and maybe you have as well, but I've heard of prisoners that have been released from prison. And they are now a freed person. But they have no idea how to live as a free person. They've been locked up for decades, and so they have no idea how to get a job. They have no idea how to even cook for themselves. They have no idea. It's all been done. That's been done for them. They have no relationships. The world has drastically changed from the time when they went into prison. And what happens is some prisoners will actually intentionally commit a crime so that they can go back to prison. Isn't that sad? This isn't a perfect illustration, but this is us as when we become a new creation in Christ, we don't know how to live as a free person. We don't. And really, discipleship is training us how to live in and out of the new freedom we have in Christ. And so what happens, because we don't know how to live in and out of our freedom, we don't yet really know how to live in and out of the kingdom. This is what happens. All sorts of habitual ways of thinking and behaving that are opposed to the new creation we are keep popping up. We are new creations in Christ, but when we get really stressed out without thinking, we find ourselves with the bag of candy in hand just going to town. Or we turn to that glass of wine that turns into four glasses of wine. We are new creations in Christ, but an attractive individual walks before us. And without thinking, we look them up and down and fantasize about them within a matter of 30 seconds. We are new creations in Christ, but when things don't go our way... Without thinking, we get all bent out of shape and become miserable to be around. We are new creations in Christ, but when someone cuts us off on the road, without thinking, what do we do? We get right on their tail, and we ride their bumper, or we get in front of them, and we brake check them repeatedly, all the while with our Jesus fish sticker on the back of our car, Right? <laughs> We are new creations in Christ, but when we encounter a difficult circumstance, without thinking, automatically we go to worry, fear, anxiety. We are new creations in Christ, but when someone criticizes us, immediately we become really defensive, hyper-defensive. We are new creations in Christ, but in conversations, without thinking, we are always turning the conversation back around to us, our problems, our experiences, our feelings, our wisdom. 
We are new creations in Christ, but when we walk into a room full of people without thinking, we immediately wonder what people are thinking about us and how we might impress those that are in attendance. Can I get an amen? Number two, this is why it's necessary to remove these automatic responses that are sinful, that are in our body and our mind, even though we're a new creation. Number two, removing our sinful automatic responses is our responsibility. Hmm. Paul says we are obligated to kill these. They, the misdeeds of the mind and the body must be mortified. They must be killed. Check out Romans 8, 12, and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. That's not like if you feel like doing it, right? But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. We have an obligation, brothers and sisters, and it is to put to death the old habits of the old person that has been crucified with Christ. And although it's true, we cannot do it alone. It's got to be done by the Spirit. Paul makes that clear. It's also true that it's not going to be done for us. We must work hard with the spirit that works powerfully in us to put these things in the grave and to put on godly ways of living. It's our responsibility. Number three, removing our sinful automatic responses is often difficult. <laughs> You're like, that. I know that, right? Like, I, why are you telling me this? Well, let me tell you why it's often difficult and what I've seen and what my ex personal experience has been. And maybe it will be helpful. So let's see here. One is the depth of our sin is usually deeper than what we realize. You know, some people wonder that when they become a Christian, like they're struggling with sin like never before. And so they start doubting their salvation. To me, it is wonderful evidence that you truly are saved in Christ. Because before, you were a slave to sin. It wasn't even a battle. It just dominated you. But now that you've got that spirit living inside of you, you are way more aware of your sin than you ever have been before. And the battle is really beginning. And you're starting to address some of that. And what we usually find is that, boy, we are more flawed and broken than we ever thought we were, and that our sinful habits are more entrenched in us than what we even ever understood or realized. And it's difficult, right? To really address this stuff is difficult because it usually means we're going to have to have difficult conversations. It usually means we're going to have to tell somebody else about it to receive encouragement and accountability. It's difficult because we're probably going to have to cut ties with certain people. It's difficult because we're probably going to have to establish some new boundaries that we didn't have before. It's, there's difficult steps that we must take in overcoming it as we realize just how deeply flawed we are. 
The second reason I think that it's often difficult to really kill these automatic sinful responses is that we have been conditioned by our American culture to avoid difficulty. Um, I believe that our American culture has affected us more than what we realize. And we hate anything that is difficult, that requires effort, that requires work. I was at the Catalyst Conference. I told you about this. It's been probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago, a month ago. I don't know. But when we were there, we heard this guy talk. His name is Tim Elmore, and he is a a world-renowned expert on Generation Z. Generation Z are the kids we just sent down to Rudin and why we need to pray for them. I'm about to tell you why. But they're kids that were born from uh, between 2001 and 2018. This is the chart that Tim Elmore showed us at the conference. He said, right now, this is the way our world is characterized and what our world is full of. On the left, speed, convenience, entertainment, nurture, entitlement. So... He said, the kids that are growing up, you know, that are in Generation Z, because that's the world they're living in, they're assuming the things on the right. Because the world is full of speed, they're assuming and believing that slow is bad. Because the world is full of convenience, I don't know if I've said this out loud, though, I love Walmart grocery pickup. (laughs) Like, I, oh, 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 so good. Because our world is full of convenience, hard is bad. Because our world is full of entertainment, boring is bad. Because our world is full of nurture and trying to keep people safe, risk is bad. He even made the joke that that as parents, we have our kids sit at the dinner table with a bike helmet on, right? Like, that's what he was saying. Because our world is full of entitlement, labor, the kids are assuming that labor is bad. I'm not going to call Josh Ho's coach of the Maslin Tiger basketball team out, but I guess I am. I bet you have to deal with some of this, Mr. Hose. Yeah, good. Right on. Now, I want you to look at the right-hand column. Is there anything more opposed to discipleship to Jesus? Hmm. And I'm afraid that this mentality has not just seeped into Generation Z. It's in all of us. It is in all of us. Look, Jim Curzon, I'm still not done with his interview. Um, that when he shared the last time, but everything I've listened to so far is so good. I, I would encourage you to go to our website, check out when he was interviewed. Um, but one of the things that he has shared, and I've heard him share this in several meetings, but this is so stuck with me. He tells this story of, he's heard this story about this young, I don't know if they're young, but they're an Ar- Iranian couple, right? 
And they moved here to America because over in Iran, you know, there's Christian persecution. And so they moved over here to escape that persecution. And after being over here for a little while, the wife begged her husband to go back. Even though women, (laughs) Christian women were being raped and killed and beaten, she wanted to go back with her husband to Iran. And here's, I mean, this just gives me chills because it's true of me. She stated that the reason for wanting to leave the comfort of America was that there is a satanic lullaby here and that all the Christians are asleep and she was feeling sleepy. We want the promises of God without the process. We want this virtuous spiritual life without discipline. We want victory without the cross. We want to share in Christ's glory, but we have no desire to share in his sufferings. We want gain without pain. We want blessing without sacrifice. We want to be able... And we want to be transformed so we can improve what is the Lord's good and acceptable, pleasing will. But we don't want to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is the very song that Satan's been singing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. He wants to get us in a sleepy stupor. So afraid of risk and pain and difficulty and discipline, he wants us to law. He wants to law us to sleep in comfort. Think about how Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. What was Satan tempting Jesus to do? To have the glory without the suffering. That's what the temptation was. Look, if you just bow down and worship me, Jesus. I will give you, you see the kingdoms of the world? All yours. Glory without the sacrifice. (laughs) Aren't we thankful to Jesus that that's not the road that he took? Hmm. It's the same temptation Satan tempts us with. You know, to Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus, you shouldn't be uncomfortable. You shouldn't have hunger pangs right now. Make those stones into bread and relieve your distress. By the way, your father, are you really the son of God? Is the father really your father? And if he loved you, would you be out here and be uncomfortable and be going through this difficulty? It's the same thing Satan's been doing for hundreds of years. Another reason why it's difficult to put to death these automatic responses that are sinful in our body and mind is because we don't know how to remove our sinful habits by the Spirit. We don't know how to do this. I'm becoming more convinced that we don't know how to do this as Christians. I've seen it in my life. Let me use an example. And I got Mary's permission to give you a personal example here. When I was getting in the shower, running late to uh, uh, Thrive class, hey, Mary, I got to talk to you, uh, talk about you in my sermon. Is that all right? <laughs> right? 
it's, it's, it's more condemning about me than, than Mary. So this is what happens in my uh, personal life. Mary will get frustrated about something, right? And in my mind, I think it's like she has no reason to be frustrated. What happens? What is my automatic response that I don't even have to think about? Negative thoughts, unkind words, and behaviors. I don't even have to think about it. It just comes out. And here's what I do. I say to myself, after I calm down, I apologize. And then I say to myself, man, I don't want to be that husband. I don't want to be like that. Next time I'll do better. Right? Week goes by. Mary's frustrated about something. In my mind, I, don't, I think it's silly she's frustrated about it. Zero to 60 it just, that's what I respond, that's how it goes, same result. What do I tell myself after I calm down and I seek forgiveness and I say to myself, I, I don't want to be this person. I'm, I'm going to really try extra hard next time. Next time comes, try as hard as I can in the moment, same result. This is what you guys are trapped in with your sin. This is what we're all trapped in. We don't know how to put it to death by the Spirit. To me, this has been revolutionary for me, is that the battle is not won in the battle. The battle is not won in the heat of the moment. It's not won there. Jesus didn't win the, the battle over the cross on the cross. I mean, he did. But you know where the battle was really won? In the garden, on his knees, in prayer, receiving the strength and the nourishment that he needed to then go forward. And from that point, nothing was going to stop Jesus. And here's the thing. We must engage in certain practices when we are not in the heat of the battle that open us up to the Spirit so that the Spirit can renew our mind and body so that the next time we are in the heat of the battle, our body is poised and ready to do what pleases God. This is how we overcome those automatic sinful responses. Just wanting to do better will not cut it. Trying harder in the moment, good luck. We must open ourselves up to the Spirit, to Jesus, through certain exercises and practices that God will then use by his grace to just rework us from the inside out so that we are poised and ready to do the right thing when it needs to be done, even in the most pressure-packed situations. So that's why you got to come back next week, because this is what we're going to impact, this very thing, next Sunday. It's going to be, hopefully, extremely practical with that. Let me just end with this. Well, two more things I'm going to end with. The first one is this. Please know that especially if you're in this cycle of failure because you don't know how to put to death the sins by the Spirit, if you're in this circle of failure and you got the American culture that has bled into us and we don't like difficulty, and if, man, you're realizing that you're more flawed than you ever thought, guess what 
guess what the temptation is going to be? What was the temptation that the Israelites experienced in the desert? Go back. You are going to be tempted to go back to Egypt. You're going to be tempted. You're going to to be tempted to think it's just not worth it. It's not worth the difficulty. It's not worth the struggle. It's not worth it. And you know what? You're going to be tempted to think that Egypt wasn't that bad after all. Paul addressed this head on in his letter to the Romans. Romans 6, 20 through 23 says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Meaning his audience, they didn't have the responsibility or didn't feel the responsibility and the burden of doing the right thing, right? They were free to automatically think and speak however they felt like it. But then Paul goes on to say in verse, verses 21 through 23, What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what Paul is saying to the Romans? Don't fool yourselves. Don't kid yourselves. Going back to Egypt is a horrible option. There was only death there. Disconnection from God, inner turmoil, relational turmoil, hurt and pain. There was no peace there. There was no life and joy there. It was a miserable existence. Don't kid yourself. This is hard work. Removing these automatic sinful responses is necessary It is our responsibility. It is difficult for the reasons I mentioned, and then I want to leave you with this, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. Look, the cost of disobedience to Jesus is always far, 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 far greater than the cost of growing in obedience to all that Jesus taught and commanded. It is worth it. So come back next Sunday, and we'll talk more about it. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord, thank you, Jesus, that we are no longer slaves to sin. That that old life, that that old identity, that old ego has been crucified with Christ. Lord, we pray that in the next couple weeks, you will teach us how to, by the Spirit, bring the activity of our mind and body in alignment with this new creation that we are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.